he would see me getting stressed about scout or he would see me grieving some goal that I thought we would never reach. And he would ask me like, why do you care about that goal? And there were many times where when he asked that I had absolutely no answer except because it looks cool when this account on Instagram does it. Welcome to the Mindset Podcast for guardians of dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. I'm your host, Kaisa van Overbeek, a life coach dedicated to making life with your challenging dog feel less challenging, both by sharing stories of other people's similar experiences and by showing you how you can harness the power of your brain to make it work for you instead of against you. Hi, everyone. It's another interview podcast of the Rough Around the Edges podcast, and I am super duper excited that Haley made the time to go and come and talk with me. Um, you might not really like trigger when you hear the name Haley, but you might when you hear the name of the Instagram account because it's pretty popular at pause and reflect if I'm saying this correctly, where she um, shares a lot of her journey with her healer scout. And I guess that kind of also gives away why I wanted to talk to her because, you know, healer, blue healer, to be precise, which Rusty is as well. And then I started reading a little bit on her account and she was talking about other things like how her now husband, I still accused him of being a boyfriend, but he's really the husband now, <laughs> is an engineer. I'm an engineer. So that was kind of like already like, oh my goodness. And then she started writing things about van life. And I was like, okay, and now we're done. Now I need to contact her. She needs to come on the podcast. So <laughs> here we are. Haley, welcome all the way from Florida. Tell me, like, take it away. Talk to me about your journey with Scout. And mind you, we have like kind of about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best to stand in that limit. Um, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited that you reached out and that I was able to find your account. I feel like we share many similar themes and align on many similar values. And then of course, you know, I never complained about seeing another blue healer out there. Um, I did not expect to get as attached to the breed as I have. Um, I've had Scout for going on four years now. In November of 2018, she was found as a stray up in Wisconsin um, in my hometown where my parents live. And we were dropping off some Christmas donations at the Humane Society. That was like our yearly tradition growing up in December. And I saw her and kind of did the very cliched classic, like, oh my gosh, like that dog is so cute. Like I saw her and I just thought that she was adorable and precious. And I also thought she was a boy at first, which is hilarious because everyone thinks that she is. Not that it matters at all. Scout really does not care about her gender in the slightest. I just think it's funny that people will apologize when they call her a him. And it's like, I did the same thing. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, you know, got in a visiting room with her. I wasn't exactly looking for a dog, but I was prepared for a dog. That's kind of how I phrase it. Um, I had graduated college about six months prior maybe a little bit more than six months prior. And I specifically chose a dog friendly apartment on purpose. I had always had family dogs growing up. I knew that I didn't want to live without a dog, but on that exact shelter trip, I was not actively looking. Um, so, you know, then I saw her kind of started to do the, the very cliched fall in love at first sight thing, got her in a visiting room. 
And over the next few days, really, really thought it through. Um, I probably could have thought it through more, full disclosure, but I, I do think I thought it through enough on the important things of if I was really prepared for a dog, learning more about the cattle dog breed. I knew I liked herding breeds already, um, but I will not pretend I was a, a healer expert, certainly not. So trying to figure out, you know, like if I could really take this on at that point, Sean and I had only been dating for a few months. So there were lots of phone calls with him. He wasn't a dog person, um, like actively not a dog person. Like he did not really like dogs. So those were conversations and long story short, after, after that thinking, trying to figure out if, if it was fair to everyone involved to do it, I applied for her and I was chosen. I got to pick her up in January. So this upcoming January will be four years together, which really blows my mind. Um, she was described by the shelter as shy, but sweet. And I've long said that that phrase still sums her up pretty perfectly. She has the sweetest disposition. She is, you know, just kind of like this, this gentle, a little bit reserved soul. Um, I'm obviously biased. I just adore her. She's, she's incredible. She's also, you know, shy is true. She's timid. She was really fearful in a lot of situations at first. Um, pretty much any unfamiliar environment would warrant hackles and freezing and a lot of really stressed, scared body language. So we've had to, had to work a ton on confidence building. Um, the, the biggest struggle in our journey has probably been that she was afraid of dogs at the shelter. She did not want to interact with them. She didn't want to do any of the play groups. Um, you know, they do like dog tests at the shelter so that they can give potential adopters information. And in one of her tests, she was just like, you know, like shut down and kind of scared and still, um, in another one of the tests, she actually did react at the other dog, but, but at that point she could like tolerate being sniffed. Um, she definitely didn't like it. The more I've learned about dog body language, I'm like, oh, if only I understood the full spectrum of what this creature was feeling back then, um, you know, cause she would kind of like make herself small and handle it. But I think for a lot of people newer to the dog space or particularly the training space, when we see a dog who isn't outwardly reacting, we just think that that dog is fine. Um, I can't remember who made a post about that. I maybe a month ago now, I saw a really great post on Instagram that talked about that exact idea. Like how we often think that a dog who's being quiet and not showing outward, like lunging or barking or growling is fine. When in reality, there can be a lot of things going on mentally and emotionally for them. Um, long story short, she was afraid of dogs already when I got her. I tried really hard to not make a big deal out of dogs. I had been given advice to just like be super confident yourself and like be calm and stress goes down the leash. I know you actually had a podcast episode all about, um, stress going down the leash and, and its variations and it did not work out for us um two weeks after I adopted her we were out on a morning walk around my apartment block like literally almost right in front of our apartment door we maybe had like 30 yards to go and a dog saw her walking by it looked under control until it wasn't and it pinned her to the sidewalk um I yeah, it, it was really brutal um Physically, she was okay. We did not have to go to the emergency vet or anything like that. I'm really, really thankful for that. But the dog had her pain for quite a while. They were struggling. There were some really scary noises and it was kind of like a switch flipped. And after that happened, you know, within a few days, every single dog we saw, she was puffing up like a porcupine because she was scared. And so she'd see the dog and, you know, I, I don't pretend to know exactly what she was thinking, but it certainly appeared some variation of I'm terrified of you. I'm going to yell at you and make myself look really big and scary so that you stay away before you can comfort me. 
um, it was, it definitely came from a big place of insecurity. So working through that, you know, the outward fear-based reactivity, and then just her general timidity and lack of confidence and insecurity has been a huge part of our journey. Um, when I look back, I'm so proud of where we've come, but it also feels very, very messy to me. There's definitely been a lot of difficult moments and a lot of, you know, feeling guilty for not knowing better or not doing better. Um, thing themes that you address a lot on your account, which I really appreciated when I found you. I think that the journey with a challenging dog, you know, for lack of a better word, it is challenging and it's hard when you have multiple living creatures involved and you're trying to do right by everyone and you're trying to take care of yourself and give your dog a good life and, and figure out the balance of, okay, like I want to push you out of your comfort zone so we can grow, but how much pushing is unfair? And at what point do I just need to accept that this is good enough and you're happy and not set different goals? Um, so it's been a, yeah, it's been a whole jumble as you can tell, but by and large, I'm so, so happy with our life today. Scout seems really happy. She thrives in a whole range of environments. She's so playful nowadays, um, you know, still a little bit shy and reserved, but when she's comfortable, she she's just this little feisty badass and I love her. <laughs> that sounds cool. I immediately want to ask you something because one of the things you just said triggered me, like what is still fair to that other creature? You know, like I want to help you. I want to push you out of the comfort zone, but when is it? no longer helping you when is it um, counterproductive? And I think this is one of the things that I, I read on your website. And one of the other things that are reasons that I wanted to talk to you is that you said like, what I'm passionate about is figuring out why we do things and why we set certain goals. And I think this kind of probably fits in there is, is really thinking about, okay, when am I doing I guess, when am I doing this for me? When am I doing this for you? Like, where are those boundaries? Like, how like how has that evolved for you during your time with, with Scout? Because I imagine that, you know, when she first got pinned down, you were probably like, okay, now what? Um, or was there already, like, a whole basis of dog training and behavior knowledge there that was like, okay, let's handle this? Oh, goodness. Um, a mix. I definitely thought I knew more than I did. Uh, uh, two years before I adopted Scout, my family adopted a Siberian Husky from the same shelter that we got Scout from. And I kind of dove into the dog training world a little bit with her, but I was in college then. I didn't live at home full time. My family's Husky was fundamentally my parents' dog. So I had started to dabble and kind of get into the training training world. Um, and if you're familiar with the, the Dunning-Kruger graph, mm -hmm. I was at that point when, when I adopted Scout, I think I was pretty much at the, I think they call it like Mount Stupidity or like the peak of stupidity where your knowledge is actually pretty low still, but your confidence is high and you think you know a lot of things. Um, I was That's definitely- you're most dangerous. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I was in that territory. I wanted so much to be a good owner. I wanted to do things right. I wanted to feel like I had all of this knowledge. Um, and I, I did have some, like there, there were definitely some practical things that I knew and understood about dogs and implemented with her. Um, but yeah, by and large, I did feel a lot of the like, oh, now what? And one of the things that I gravitated towards in the beginning was 
role models. Um, people I saw in the online dog space, I was in several Facebook groups, I had started the Instagram account, and I would see these people who seemed to be living these great lives with their dogs. And I just really, you know, like I wanted that I, I wanted what they had. And so I did a lot of watching other people and getting inspired. But then that also, you know, creates the danger of an unproductive comparison game, I think. Um, my, my biggest passion today with dogs and pretty much life in general is nuance and balance. And that's a great example where you can be inspired by other people you see, particularly online. And that can be really healthy. Like that can be incredibly motivating. You can connect with a support network. You can be introduced to different resources and different perspectives. And that can be just so amazing. But you have to strike the right middle ground because if you go too far in the other direction, you can also easily start to feel just more overwhelmed. There's such a volume of content out there. Um, you can play the comparison game and feel like you're not good enough. So in my early days with Scout, I you know, kind of gravitated towards wanting to feel like I had it figured out and like I was being really solid. But if I genuinely look back and reflect, I wasn't asking myself, why in the context of our individual life, the way that I do today, I was seeing a lot of things being done by other people who seemed to have good dogs and to enjoy their dogs. And I was just like, I'm going to jump on that train. Like I'm just doing it because this person is doing it. And today that is not my reason to do absolutely anything. Um, yeah. So that was a huge, that's been a huge evolution. It happened in bits and pieces and then kind of you know, like all at once, like today, it's very natural for me that when I'm thinking about things with Scout, I think in the context of our individual life, um, I've, I've even gotten bold enough. I'm, I'm a pretty timid person myself. Scout fits me in that way. I get anxious quite easily myself. Um, it was really hard for me in the beginning to push back on trainers at all. I had some training consults where I'm not very, I'm not very proud of how I interacted and failed to advocate for Scout. Um, I'm also, of course, not happy with how some of the trainers treated me and sort of took advantage of, you know, they could tell I was scared. And so there was definitely some fear mongering and things like that happening. Um, long story short, I've finally reached a place where definitely have so much that I, that I don't know. And there are so many holes in my own logic that I find all of the time. So um, you know, certainly like when we look at that knowledge axis of the Dunning-Kruger graph, I, I'm still like maybe only in the middle or the beginning of the middle, but I feel like my confidence level has come to match. And I generally feel fairly self-aware of like what I'm doing and what I'm feeling and why I'm doing the thing and how I can create a life that's good for me and Scout and Sean as individuals instead of modeling every decision kind of blindly off of like, well, this works for this person on the internet. So like, let's just do that because they do it. Or, you know, you're, you're an overwhelmed new dog owner and you see all of these training accounts, like the overwhelmed new dog owner finds dog Instagram and it is like Christmas, but also horrifying and terrifying because you have literally hundreds, thousands of voices saying different things and offering free advice and some of that advice is really thoughtful and grounded in research and leaves room for nuance and other parts of that advice are just like straight up nonsense and it's this whole overwhelming thing so I 
very deeply experienced that earlier on. I had a really hard time figuring out um, how to sift through any of that information. And what ultimately helped me most was coming back to that question of why, which is something that um, my, my husband, Sean, really pushed me to do. He would see me getting stressed about Scout or he would see me grieving some goal that I thought we would never reach. And he would ask me like, why do you care about that goal? And there were many times where when he asked that I had absolutely no answer except because it looks cool when this account on Instagram does it, which as I say that out loud, I mean, that, that just sounds ridiculous. Right. But that's very much where my head was. Um, I was setting all of these goals based on arbitrary external metrics and standards, you know, like I wanted Scout to be a good dog. And I really embraced a lot of what society tells us about what makes a dog good. And there are mixed messages there. And then I, you know, I just, I set, I set other people's goals for myself instead of actually thinking about what makes me happy and who is my dog? What makes her happy? Like what, what is her personality? What are her preferences? She's her own creature. And how can I set goals that will make us happy as a team instead of just like copying and pasting other people's goals onto our life, which is an imperfect fit. So thinking back, do you think it was, what was, what allowed you to make the switch to, you know, be asking that why more? Was that Sean or was that something else? If we hear tip tapping, that's rusty in the background. That's a dog I podcast. <laughs> I I love hearing scouts tip tapping too. It's always fun to kind of just like remember that I have this creature who I'm sharing my home with. I enjoy that during my work day. Um, anyway, I think there was probably multiple different seeds being planted. It's really tough to go back and figure out exactly what led to it. A lot of it was Sean. Um, Sean is a very practical person, kind of has that engineering mind and. A lot of my emotional struggles with Scout were very, very difficult on him. And he is incredible and loving and supportive, but he's also pretty good at calling me out when I need to be called out. And even earlier in relationship, he was good at that. So he did a great job of, you know, here's Haley and I'm overwhelmed and stressed. And he really pushed me to think more critically about the sources of that overwhelm and that stress. And if I could eliminate those sources. Um, I also think that the more time I spent in the community and the more people I talked to, the better I was able to genuinely internalize the idea that everyone has a different dog, different lifestyle, different opportunities available to them. They live in a different environment. They have their own different preferences. I sort of logically knew that that was the case, right? Like we talk about diversity in, in so many different forms in life. Um, you know, you even think about how there's... There's like the, the old adage that opposites attract because otherwise life is boring. And like we think about these things in human terms pretty readily and like in different areas of life, it's easy to internalize them. But I struggled in the dog world for a while to like, I struggled to connect my logic brain and my emotional heart, I guess, and really feel like it was okay to not fit a super standard mold if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, the more perspectives that I've heard, the more people I talked to, the more I saw, you know, now I'm talking to someone who lives on a farm on 10 acres of land and their dog has such a different lifestyle than this other person I'm talking to who lives in downtown Chicago 
where it's a concrete jungle and they have to make different accommodations and, and do different things that really helped open my eyes to just the reality like oh there are no one size fits all goals like everyone is so different and again it sounds like such a simple logical thing like duh Haley everyone is different but it took me a while um to embrace that as deeply as I have now and then that I think combined with Sean's patience and pushing really is what kind of like set me off the ledge to more more deeply ask why and figure out what scout I needed so do you have an example of something that is different now with with um scout from how it was before where you had like sort of a way of thinking about it and then once you started questioning it we're like hmm let's see how we can do this differently so 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 many um one that comes to mind that you and i chatted about just a little bit previously is jumping scout's a pretty shy dog like i mentioned she's not at risk of turning into a dog who jumps on strangers out in public like she's she's quite reserved um that that is just not a concern i personally have that is a concern that my mom has with her dog for example so again like there's a really great first-hand example of dogs being different so my mom has to be a little bit more strict about not not reinforcing the behavior of jumping in her dog because that is something like she could turn into a dog who's out in public and just like you know accidentally bowls over a kid which of course no one wants um but scout it, she's not at risk of that she only puts paws on people who she really really trusts all of those people by the point that she trusts them they also know her they're comfortable it's pretty much only me and sean a handful of family members so in the beginning i thought that i couldn't allow her to put paws on me ever Like, that's kind of what I had been told, right? Like, good dogs don't jump. And I would, you know, like, take away my attention when she was putting paws on me, or I would ask her to sit. I would do all of these things. And then I finally reached a point where I was like, wait, I love that you're so bold and comfortable with me and Sean. And your affection means the world to me because it's not something that you give away so freely. And I'm happy that you're happy. And I'm also excited to greet you after I was just out of the house like we are we're social creatures who share a lot of traits as social mammals like why do I have it in my head that I can't let you jump on me in my own home like how is that disrespectful to anyone else um so nowadays I super encourage Scout to jump on me and put paws on me and we rough house a lot a lot more because we have clarity um about you know, like, like, again, that only happens in situations where it's safe and where it's with people that she trusts, I can tell her to get off and she'll immediately get off and listen. So like, no harm, no foul. That's something we love in our life. But I really had it in my head in the beginning that like, cannot let you jump. Um, Or even things like barking. Like I had it in my head that good dogs don't bark. Oh, so many of the good dogs quotes, right? Like good dogs should. There's so much of that in our lives. So many and so many of them, when you really start to think about what makes a canine a canine, they just sound so absurd. Like, like just sit with the phrase, good dogs don't bark for a second. That's like one of their forms of communication. Like, like that is so natural for a canine, especially, you know, depending on different breed makes up makeups and different situations and all of these individual factors. Um, my childhood dogs growing up barked a ton. I, I grew up with dogs, but we did not really like do any training I actually had it in my head that like dog training was only something 
that like really fancy owners did. Like I went growing up, I had no concept of the fact that I could like casually train my dog to better fit my life. I just, I, I was so removed from it. So when I got scout, I really wanted her, you know, again, to be good. And I'd had these childhood dogs who just barked all of the time, like to the point of being pretty, pretty unhealthy, pretty unproductive for all parties involved. I didn't want that, but I took it really far. And, you know, like I really, I didn't want her to bark at all at anything ever. Part of that was because of the fear reactivity that she started showing. I developed a really negative emotional response of my own to yeah. the sound of her vocalizations. Um, more recently, I've done a little bit of reading on this. Absolutely not an expert. Um, if anyone's interested, I encourage them to go and, and look into this a little bit more on their own because I very well might be like muddling it a little bit. But from my current understanding, um, the, the noises that our dogs can make, especially some of the higher pitched ones, can actually affect our own limbic systems and produce things like adrenaline and, and have a physiological response. Yes. <laughs> so I had a lot of that going on. Um, and I just, I like, I really hated when she barked. And nowadays I've, I've changed on that where, you know, of course I care a lot about being respectful in public. I care about being kind to my neighbors. Like there are limits on the barking, but I love when she vocalizes during play because it tells me that she's getting really into it and that she's not suppressing anything about herself. She's like really enthusiastic and excited. So I love when she barks a bit during engaged play. That's very different to me than like if she was out in the yard for an hour barking by herself at nothing, that does not sound like it's mentally healthy for her, nor is it kind to my neighbors. So like that's different than barking during an engaged play session or you know, Scout's a cattle dog and she's relatively territorial. She's totally manageable. She makes friends really, really quickly. She generally likes people, you know, once she's warmed up to them, but she's, she's territorial of our home. And that's completely natural, not even just for a cattle dog, but for many canines in general. Like when you think about how we used to live with them and, and our co-evolution versus modern society now. I'm sorry Part of the reason we got them is to help protect our homes, you know? <laughs> To be territorial. I used to get so embarrassed and frustrated and upset when she would bark when someone would knock at the door. Um, And nowadays it doesn't bother me at all. I think I've I've come to a healthier perspective. Like she alert barks to things that she hears outside. And we've worked on it to the degree that I don't think it unduly stresses her out. Like if, if she was barking all of the time at a bunch of things and that was an indication that she was mentally or emotionally struggling, that would be different. Um, but nowadays she can like hear a strange noise outside or a neighbor down the street slams their car door and she barks once or twice at it just to let us know. And then like looks to us for direction or takes herself to her crate. If she feels scared, like that's, that's her designated safe space. She Mm -hmm. goes there whenever she feels uncomfortable. Um, so that, yeah, that's been another big shift and there's still a lot of nuance in there, right? Like, it's not like I went from dogs shouldn't bark ever to thinking dogs should bark at everything all the time. It's just that I have a better perspective of what makes my dog a dog, like what it means to be a canine, how she might experience the world. We can never know precisely for sure, but we can do our best to imagine. And now it seems ludicrous to me that there was a time where I was so embarrassed and upset if she, you know, barked when someone knocked on the door. Like, of course she barked when someone knocked on the door. Like that is part of what we bred her breed to do for generations and generations. Like, how can I, how can I be upset at this trait that my own ancestors created in her ancestors? You know, it's the, it, 
like when you say it out loud, logically, you know, it makes sense. But until that really lands, that that takes time. I have another question because what allowed you to um, better deal with what you said, like your own limbic system's response to the barking? Like what allowed you to be more okay with that? Was that a gradual process? Was that something specific? I'm sure tons of people would love to know that. Yeah, definitely gradual. Um, I like to say that Scout has pushed me to train and learn just as much about myself as I have about her. Um, and a huge part of that has been Sean. It's really difficult for me to separate out my relationship with Scout from my relationship with Sean because Sean and I had been together for a few months when I got Scout and he he relatively quickly, you know, became involved. And so my between my relationship with Sean and the really healthy growth that he has encouraged and my relationship with Scout and some of the things that I've had to contend with there, I feel like the past few years have involved a lot of progress for me, which is really fun to look back on, honestly. Um, I think that I needed to become more self-aware first and foremost and figure out where some of those feelings came from. So some of them are just like straight up biological processes from my current understanding, you know, like we, we hear a really high pitched sound and that can trigger different chemicals, different things in our bodies. And that can be difficult. Um, but then figuring out, you know, once that point is reached, like how can I practice being more aware of my body and my mind so that when I catch myself feeling that way, I can sort of like, for lack of a better word, intercept it before it snowballs into something else. So nowadays I've gotten a lot better at recognizing like, oop, like I was really, really focused on a task and I was super in the groove and Scout barked three times at that car door down the street and it made me jump and I felt startled. And now I'm feeling a little bit like frazzled because my work was interrupted. And it, I used to not be able to recognize that, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. these things, just it felt like they were happening to me. And nowadays I'm able to actually like, like pretty much in the moment notice like, Oh, I'm feeling frazzled because this just happened. So here's what I'm going to do. And, and the strategies might be a whole slew of things. Like I do a lot of stretching, a lot of breathing, some of the very classic techniques um, for calming ourselves down. It really came with a lot of practice and it was definitely not a linear process. And to be very clear, I am still not perfect at it. Like I absolutely have times where I feel overwhelmed or frustrated or frazzled. The last thing I want to do is make it sound like I have it all together because I definitely don't. Are you um, trying to say that you're human? Yeah, right? Right. And that my dog is crazy. Crazy, insane. Uh, but through through practicing it, I've gotten better at recognizing what I call choice points. Um, that's the term that Sean and I use for it. So when I start to feel overwhelmed or really embarrassed in some sort of way, I look at that as a, as a choice point where if I recognize what I'm feeling, I can choose to do something about it, to address it in a healthy and productive way. Or, you know, I can choose to just like let it control me and turn the whole day into some awful experience. Um, and I used to really struggle. My recovery time from hard things used to be like, like an off-leash dog would rush us on a walk. And of course, Scout would react and feel terrified and I'd feel like a failure and it would be horrible. And that used to stick with me for, for weeks, like, like full weeks, at, at least seven days, if not more. Um, one of the first times that happened to us, like, I'm pretty sure I was grumpy about it, at least in the background for an entire month. 
and it just wasn't productive for everyone. Um, but nowadays, the, the best compliment that Sean can give me is telling me that my recovery time has gotten shorter, which is a metric that I think about for Scout too. Um, you know, like things are going to happen in our lives that are scary and difficult and startling and all of these things. Um, and we certainly don't have to be perfect. Like that is just, it's ludicrous to expect us to be stable and steady all the time. But how quickly can we recover from those things and sort of reclaim the day and our life and, and focus on the things that we want to do. Um, I'm going to try and get people to rewind this a couple of times and listen to it again, because I think this is extremely important information. And I kind of love the way you're putting it with the choice points. The way I would kind of talk about it would be there's I kind of usually make a difference between sensations and emotions, whereby sensations would really be something that you have no control over. Like you're getting hungry or um, like you said, like really this primal response to the barking, that's then one point. But then the second point, like the emotion that comes after, which for example, like what you were saying about with working would be maybe frustration, like, oh, now my work got interrupted. Now I have to like get back into it and, Uh, all of that, all of those thoughts that lead to that, being able to interrupt that and see that as, like you said, a choice point, like, oh, this is why it's because I'm now thinking like, oh, my work got interrupted enough to get back into it. Wait a second, that we can interrupt and we can look at it differently. I love it. And it also, like you said, it doesn't mean that that is never going to happen anymore, or that we always get to you know, get to that choice point and be able to go like, yeah, let's interrupt. No, sometimes not. And sometimes you're going to get to it two or three times. So you're just going to keep rehashing it and like, yeah. 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 I mean, even just last Saturday is an example. I'm, I'm usually really proud of myself and Sean and the relationship that we have and how we handle all of the dog stuff. But we had Scout and we had two little foster puppies. They were like nine weeks old at that point in the house. And yeah, this past Saturday was rough. Like Sean and I spent a good portion of the day grumpy, angry, frustrated at one of the creatures in the house. And, you know, it took us probably like four or five hours before we actually sat down and really talked it through and kind of like reached that, that choice point and took more control over it. Um, And that, that didn't mean that we failed. Like you said, it just meant that we were human and we did eventually address it and we were able to practice those pathways so that you know next time around hopefully I will be able to recognize some of those feelings a little earlier hopefully he will be able to as well um I also think for me a big part of it like a big part of the expectations and the goal setting and things that I struggled with came from ego which I've only more recently started feeling more comfortable talking about this because I was embarrassed to admit it which again ties back to ego isn't that funny how everything is so connected um I used to put a lot of my identity in scout and like I professed to be interested in dog training. And so that felt like a lot of pressure, like people in our, our real life friend circles know me as like the dog person. And so I had all of this fear that if my dog wasn't perfect, they would think I was a fraud or they would think that I was worthless or just like lots of fear of embarrassment and insecurity there were a lot of things I needed to work on, you know, outside of the context of dog ownership that were laying the foundation of that, of course. Um, but that was a huge one. one. One of the questions why that I come to ask myself is, you know, like, why am I feeling 
whatever this emotion is. Like some of the emotions come primarily from certain sensations. I think that, you know, there is a, a connection between how we interpret how our body feels, like what's going on physiologically and how that makes us feel. Like if I, um, you know, it's kind of like the classic example of like, if I drink a lot of coffee, sometimes I feel anxious because my heart rate is increased in these things that I associate with anxiety. Um, but then I also think that there were feelings and emotions that I would have in these moments that came from like unproductive social constructs, like, oh, I'm also embarrassed that my dog barked when someone knocked on the door, because what if that delivery person is going back to their car thinking I have a bad dog? What if they think that that house doesn't train their dog and blah, blah, blah. And I would get in this like really panicky frame of mind. And that sounds ludicrous to say out loud because, you know, probably that delivery person is thinking no such thing. I'm sure lots of dogs bark and they're just trying to get to the next, you know, spot on their route so that they can get home and, and live their own life. But I would internalize all of this and I would feel like my sense of self, like my ego was being attacked and I would get so embarrassed about these things. And I had, I had to do a lot of digging to figure out where that came from and to accept that, you know, like I can be a good person and I can be a, a complete human being and I'm not in control of everything that happens around me all the time. And I'm not in control of how people perceive me and I'm not in control of how people perceive my dog. And trying to exercise so much control over that only sets me up to be really disappointed and really embarrassed and feel all of those gross feelings that just aren't, aren't productive. And the reality is that, you know, like that's not what Scout needs for me. Like when Scout would react to a dog on a walk and I would feel embarrassed because I would worry about what that other owner was thinking about me, that didn't help me. And that didn't help Scout at all in that situation, right? Like she didn't need me to be embarrassed of her. She needed me to be supportive of her and, and help her and think about how the situation played out and, and do the productive reflecting on like, okay, like this happened. How can we try to avoid it next time? How can we recover from it next time? Like all of those questions. So, um, so yeah, there's just, there's like also a, a bit of ego and, and some processing there wrapped up in that whole conversation of like limbic system being affected, societal norms and expectations, and then like personal insecurity, it all has jumbled together. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of, I want to say, emphasis on being perfect. Um, even on, you know, like, just think filters on social media, like, you know, yeah. heaven forbid, we show our wrinkles, we must put a smoothing filter on our faces. Uh, on yeah. Instagram, which by the way, I purposely do not do because I don't want to feed into that. But there <laughs> is, and it's, it's subtle. Sometimes it's so subtle. Like you can't, you can't show, you know, like the, the, the frail side of yourself, even though like logically we know that logically we're like, of course that's silly. Everybody, everybody has, you know, like downsides or negative sides or however you want to call it and we know that but still the the programming is so strong that when when we try to allow ourselves to show that part comes the embarrassment and the ickiness and that feeling and that doesn't feel good so let's try and change things up and and yeah make it right again which there's in in the end there's no need because i always say embarrassment it's very fleeting if you really accept it it's just yeah. there for a little bit and then it goes. 
And, and we try so hard to not be embarrassed, even though in the end, it's like, what? It's, you know, 90 seconds of just a bit of flushed cheeks and some other like butterflies in the stomach and then it's gone. So yeah, but it takes work. I've come to really think about the way that I respond to embarrassment as saying more about me as a person than like actually getting embarrassed. You know, like when I feel embarrassed, do I... Do I get really defensive and does it make me act in a way that I'm not proud of? Or am I able to pause and think about where it's coming from and address some of those things and kind of, kind of recover from it? That's been a, um, that's been a helpful thing. Yeah, and me. are you able to look at it? I always add with curiosity rather than with judgment, you know, and like not judge yourself for being embarrassed in the sense. So I shouldn't have been, but more like, Oh, I was like, what's going on here. Let's see where we can go. Yeah. I, I love you. You just like the other day had a post about how, when we're worried about other people judging us, it's sort of a form of self judgment. And that really resonated with me. Um, it, it, it is. I think a lot of the times when we have opinions about other people, we it's either because we think that way of ourselves or we end up doing the same thing like one of the things i always find quite interesting is um we were talking about it earlier a little bit as well like the divide in the dog world um where people you know like who have one training philosophy tend to be somewhat aggressive towards people who you know do not follow that training philosophy or they say that's all wrong that's not right so They'll be saying um, maybe about like the compulsion uh, based trainers. Um, they're not doing right by the dog. They're they're being mean. They're not uh, kind of like I'm, I'm, I'm super simplifying, but it's kind of like they're yeah. saying they're being mean. They're not being nice humans. It's kind of what they're saying. And then you see them go on social media and I want to say talk trash about those trainers. And then I kind of think like, so now who's being mean? They're basically doing the same thing that they're accusing the other person of. And there's so many of these little circles that that take place. And it's overwhelming, especially to like, like, especially to me as a new dog owner, I was so overwhelmed by the contradictory information. And I get it. Like there are different opinions and there are absolutely you know, things that I don't condone. I think there are some lines in the sand, but I generally think there are fewer lines in the sand than conversations on social media lend us to believe. And that was so overwhelming for me as a new dog owner. Like I was having paid private consults with a whole bunch of trainers from different backgrounds, like in person. And then I was also trying to navigate this online space and I just wanted to do right by my dog. Like I just wanted to help her. And I was so overwhelmed and people doing what you're describing there, you know, like kind of the, the ad hominem and the name calling and focusing on individuals more than on actual discussions of methods. And like all of that just, it just hurt me. It absolutely didn't help. You know, it was so overwhelming then to be like, well, who do I believe? Because this person is confidently saying this thing. And this person is confidently saying this other thing that contradicts the first thing. And how am I as an owner supposed to figure this out? Like who, who can I trust? Um, yeah, that. What would you tell someone now who is going through that, who's just sort of being inundated with information and opinions? What would you tell them, like how to navigate that? If they're interested and they have the capacity, I would encourage them to 
look at some research on their own and, and try to understand, um, not even necessarily training research, but just like dog research, like get into your dog's head a little bit. That helped me a ton, like imagining how Scout perceives the world, learning about what we currently understand about canine emotions, the co-evolution of dogs and humans and things we share as social mammals. I feel like that helped me bring a lot of things together. Um, I also certainly don't expect everyone who's feeling overwhelmed to like want to get nerdy and geek out about those things and there shouldn't, there shouldn't be pressure to. Um, I think that I, my, my personal issue was that I wanted to take everything too seriously and I wasn't good enough at being skeptical. Um, so I would encourage people to ask questions and then that tells you a lot. So, so to be really clear, ask kind, genuine, productive questions, not like rhetorical mean questions. Um, but that taught me a lot about different trainers who I would find myself interacting with in the online space. I think that the way that someone responds to, again, a polite, productive question says a fair amount about their character and willingness to learn. Um, and also we as owners have right, we, we have the right to ask questions. I had some trainers who made me feel very small and they kind of made me feel like I, you know, I'm just the owner. I should just listen to them because they said so. Um, and I think that a really good teacher, a really good coach is open to answering those questions. That can also be a really exhausting process. So again, like I want to emphasize mental and emotional capacity and people's interest to do these things. Like it can be really tiring sometimes to see something that contradicts something else you've seen and then to ask the author about it and to say like, hey, like I've seen some mixed information about this. Can you point me in the direction of where you learned it from? Like sometimes that goes really well. Other times it doesn't go well and it can be really tiring. Um, so I, I, I needed to learn to be more aware of my own capacity before I entered into some of those spaces. Um, the final thing I would say is to, it, it's a lot easier said than done, um, but Sean really helped me focus on looking at Scout and asking Scout how she was doing. And again, thinking more about our individual life. So you can get into all of these really like broad theoretical conversations and see all of these things on the internet and social media. But at the end of the day, what matters is that my dog, the dog that I'm responsible for, the dog that shares my home, what matters is that she is living a good life and that we are living in harmony together and that we both feel satisfied, fulfilled on the average. There's not a ton of unnecessary conflict. Like that is what matters to me. Um, and so once I started paying more attention to her, so instead of just hearing things, you know, like if you let your dogs on the furniture, they'll dominate you <laughs> yeah exactly or or you know like the 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 flip side like there's advice from all sides um instead of just internalizing all of that and being like oh my gosh like this is what a professional says like i i have to listen but this professional is arguing with this professional it helped me to take a breath and kind of look at my life with scout and say okay you know like scout hangs out with me on the furniture do we have problems with that like like, is she resource guarding the couch? No. Like, is this affecting anything? No. Okay. So I'm not going to let that piece of advice make me feel really nervous and kind of fear monger me because I have this evidence in the context of my own life that it's going okay. Again, easier said than done because there are a lot of confounding variables in different situations. And when we get things in our head, it can be really difficult um, to, to think clearly sometimes. So 
certainly not saying that that's a simple process, but that's a process that I've gotten better at doing in life with Scout. Um, so, you know, like, we'll we'll run the gamut. Like, I have people on the, the balanced side um, to, to use the two simple labels. I, I have feelings on labels. I think they can be unproductive, but for the sake of simplicity, I'll have people on the balanced side say that, you know, I'm, or, or really the compulsion side, um, the, the compulsion people are the ones who are most likely to say that I'm like too soft or things like that. And then I'll have people who identify as force free, like literally telling me that I abuse scout and, when those things start to get to me, or even if it's not directed at me personally, but like I see other information out there insinuating these things, it's really helpful for me to take a step back and, and look at my dog, look at the dog in front of me, the dog who, you know, can navigate a range of environments. And then of course we're not perfect. You know, we've touched on that theme throughout this podcast, but like the dog who clearly trusts me is clearly happy is thrilled to initiate play has lots of opportunities to engage in a range of natural behaviors and you know is gets a lot of freedom but i don't have evidence that she's unduly stressed by that freedom like some of uh, some trainers on certain sides would tell me and, and vice versa um so again easier said than done but i think that trying to come back to that at least a little bit like trying to come back to that idea of this is our life it's absolutely important that I listen to expertise. Like I am not, I'm not trying to tell owners out there to be, you know, please, please don't go ignoring your trainers who have a ton of experience and education and are trying their best to help you. Like, please, please, please don't do that. But ask questions, think about if things really apply to your own life. Don't be afraid to push back gently, you know, kindly um, and really evaluate if something does apply to you or not. I like that you said that, you know, looking at both, both Scout and yourself, right? And your life and what's going on there. And we were talking a little bit about this before we um, started recording, because when I asked you and I gave you uh, to come on the podcast and I gave you the little spiel about, you know, like what the podcast is about. Um, I also mentioned that I identified as force-free and you very kindly replied and said, well, I'm, I'm having, like, I'm trying to reimagine or or redefine i'm not exactly sure of the wording you use but like where i am in this like what am i force free or not like what is my thinking and you actually also wrote um a blog on um on punishment as as in the like the two quadrants um positive punishment and negative punishment um and and so you had thoughts about that as well and when I read that, I, I actually paused a little bit. And this is kind of interesting just for the mindset people uh, around us to see how our brains work. Because I was kind of like, oh, uh, punishment. I just, just I, I don't think I like punishment. Kind of like this is where my brain went. And I was like, now what? Now what, what do I do? Like, do I, um, do I invite this girl on the podcast or not? Or how does that work? And I was like, oh, wait a second. First of all, I started um spinning kind of in like indecision because I didn't really know what to do with it and probably it was more like I hadn't really um I want to say made up my mind 100% on where I stand on all of all of it and I, probably I still haven't because I am still um it it's not I am still it is continuously involving you know our insights into dog training 
But because it was so like all over the place, it's like, oh, I don't know how to reply to this. So what did my brain do? It didn't want to reply to your message at all, funnily enough. And then in the end, of course, I did thinking the same or, or along the, the same lines of what we've been talking about now, like asking myself why, getting curious and figuring out, but what does that mean about me? What do I still um, need to figure out? And then obviously I also realized like a lot of people talk about like not doing punishment, but in fact, we are doing punishment. For example, um, like we were talking about, you know, dogs jumping up on you when um, they come into the door. And then what a lot of us have been taught is you just turn your back towards the dog and then they will um, stop jumping on you, which is a form of punishment because you are trying to decrease the behavior of, if it works, of the dog jumping on you by, um, you know, like uh, removing attention. So it'd be negative punishment. And we're like, okay, so we're doing that. Am I comfortable with that? Yes or no? In what situations um, would I use it? So I got like, it got me thinking, got all curious. And I'm like, if I am there with my brain and going like, wait, what's this left, right? Then other people are having the same issues and then we need to talk about it. And the, so the reason for this long wind about way of asking the question is like, how have you, like, how have you been asking yourself that same question? Like, where do I stand on that? How do you integrate these things into your life and like what are your um like how do you weigh the pros and cons and what are the the factors that you know allow you to make the decision there yeah yeah this is such a good question um a handful of things before i get into it the first is that i just i always want to be really really clear that I am not a professional dog trainer i am just an owner i'm a self-proclaimed canine nerd i love learning about dogs. I love living with Scout. I love optimizing our life, um, but I never want to misconstrue like who I am. I always recommend that um, folks have conversations with professionals who know a ton more than me. Um, so if I put my foot in my mouth or if something doesn't make sense, um, you know, I'm always, always happy to chat about that. Like if anyone wants to directly message me or anything, that's totally cool. Um, but usually my go-to is to point to other resources from which I've learned because again, I just, I, things can get lost in translation. And I just really don't want to misrepresent um, as more than I am. But yeah, this is such an interesting question. When you reached out, um, you know, you had included that paragraph about how you love talking in the episodes about force-free training and, you know, not, um, I love that you mentioned not feeling ashamed of other training methods, but just sort of like the passion for force-free training nowadays. Um, and I resonate with so, so, so many values in the community that identifies as force-free or whatever label you want to use. I've also pretty long used the balanced label for myself. That's kind of like when I came into the community, those were the trainers and accounts that I gravitated towards. And over time, there's just been such a change for me. I've really kind of landed in a space where I totally understand the need to categorize ourselves in some way. Like, absolutely. I am not, I'm not knocking labels on the whole. They can be really, really important. Um, but I do find that like dividing everything into balanced and force-free, like I often see on the internet can make things kind of messy. Um, it can make things more black and white than I think they really are. And I love coming back to shared 
values. Like I could tell right away from your page that you and I were aligned on so, so much of our dog ownership and just general life feelings and talking about mindset and all of these things, like your posts resonate with me so much. Um, and so I was so happy that you responded as you did. I, I didn't want there to be any miscommunications. I didn't want you to have me on and then suddenly be like, oh my gosh, like she sometimes uses punishment and feel like I had swindled you in some way that was really important to me. Um, but I, I love being able to come together on the core shared values, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, yeah, I've landed in a spot where I think labels are tricky. Um, given that I, I will be comfortable with the intentional use of some punishment. Again, not willy nilly punishment. You need to be really, really clear about that. I have a big issue with training that uses punishment as the foundation or, you know, training that I would classify as like straight up compulsion. Um, I, but, but given that that is something in my vocabulary, like in my training, I, if pressed, like, you know, if you're really pushing me, I would probably still use the balance label because that's where a lot of people make the distinction but more and more I just feel like that label doesn't necessarily fit um I've been really interested in play-based training and like the work of the training without conflict program um things like that yeah it's a bit rambling here a little bit like you said about the long-winded thing it's just it's just a whole messy thing um, for me a lot of it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of asking why and thinking about balance, thinking about nuance. So I think that there's, you know, to me, there's a big difference between someone who is unfairly, inhumanely yanking and cranking on their dog all of the time. There's a big difference between that and someone who's really thinking critically about the lifestyle that they share with their dog. They're thinking about their dog's preferences and personality. They're thinking about their dog's well-being. I... I've encountered a handful of trainers who I really feel are in it for the wrong reasons and who are not, not people that I have any interest in associating with, but the vast majority of owners that I've connected with, especially in like the online dog Instagram space, the vast majority of, of those owners and dog guardians absolutely adore their companions and are doing their absolute best. I mean, they, they love their dogs and they're doing the best with the information that they have. And it, yeah, definitely is hard to see a lot of that, like hard back and forth and um, the finger pointing and the blame when, when I really think that if we unite around shared values and accessible resources and, and more accessible education, I think we can do a lot for dogs and, and their humans collectively. Um, you talked about kind of like making these decisions in our own life. Again, coming back to that idea of asking why, I think everyone has a different well, first of all, every dog is different, even within a breed, even within a household, like humans are individuals, dogs are also individuals. Um, we don't know exact numbers and I will not pretend to be a scientist who fully understands all of it, but like a good portion of personality and sociability traits are probably genetic, at least in part. And so, you know, we have like all of this individual background, same for us, like us humans are individuals, we all have different lifestyles, we all have different environments, we all have different access to resources. Um, Sometimes I think about, you know, if, if the decision, how do I put it? There are training decisions where I think access to resources and an element of privilege can be important. Like I'm, I'm all for a whole bunch of training that is, you know, creative and thinking about the dog's well-being and managing the environment. Like I think that stuff can be so incredibly fascinating. It's so fun 
to read about it. So fun to hear about it. There are people out there who are just incredible at this, like incredibly creative in their ways to avoid using punishment. And like, I, I think it's really cool to, to learn about and learn from. I also think that, um, I, I think that the industry is really growing to be clear, but I do think that historically there have been some suggestions that are more applicable in certain people's situations than others. And I just think that that element of privilege is worth considering. Um, you know, for example, living in a downtown city apartment with a dog gives you different access to resources than if you live somewhere where you really can go on like a long line decompression walk every day and those sorts of things. I think about the fulfillment that I'm able to provide Scout in our life and how fulfillment is really one of my focuses as a dog owner. But depending on which environments we've lived in, we have had slightly different access to those things or being able to manage the environment. Um, even some of those things, like we mentioned a little bit before we started recording of like setting up baby gates or using different tethers inside or certain things like that. I think that everyone needs to ask at a certain point, what is going to work for their lifestyle? Um, I can't remember who first said this. I think it might've been, it might have been in a Tim Ferriss book. I suppose it doesn't entirely matter. I just want to be clear that this is not my original idea. Um, Sean and I were reading a book out loud together once, and there was a quote about how the most, the like the best method for something is the one that is effective and that the person in question is also able to implement. And that really, really stuck with me. Um, of course, in dog training, like I would also add welfare of both parties into that. Like, I want to be really clear that I have a huge issue with people fundamentally depriving dogs of their basic needs, fundamentally not allowing them to express their canine instincts. Like, I'm very, very against that. Um, that is not what I'm here for. But I also think that, you know, when when we look at a training plan, for a dog and that dog's family. Um, when I think about my life individually with Scout, a lot of it has come down to thinking about marginal returns, like understanding when might things be good enough and we could continue to optimize if we wanted to, but maybe it's healthiest for me and Sean mentally as the humans involved yeah. to accept that things can be good enough. I think that's important. And then, you know, thinking about what matters to our lifestyle. So like, it's so, so, so important to me that Scout feels fulfilled on the average and that she knows that she can trust us and all of these things. Um, there are also situations where sometimes, you know, telling her, no, don't do that one thing is the, the easiest, most effective option in our life. And I'm able to watch her and I'm able to see this life that she lives. And the fact that, um, you know, there, there are definitely low risk situations where I feel like doing that has not hurt anything about our relationship. Um, and I just want to also- make clear for uh, to other people that telling your dog, no, is positive punishment it is a form of punishment so when we're talking about punishment here we're not talking about you know like choking your dog um to the floor we're also talking about something um as simple as saying no and i know that there's trainers that um they avoid even saying no or try to avoid saying no at all costs but i would be lying myself if i told you that i never said um no to rusty i do take it off and i want to say as a way of thinking like okay if i've now said no five times <laughs> i might need to yeah. think of something else and something better to do because this isn't it and like why am i saying it but to make it look like i am this like force-free training goddess or whatever no 
um, like like we said, we're only human. And I think a lot of times people don't even realize that, for example, no is a, a form of punishment. But I, I just, I would love to hear what you have to say about like when you would use a no over something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that you brought that up because I think that semantics have become really important to me. I think it's really easy to overthink semantics. Sometimes I take them too far, but I also think that they can really color the way that we enter conversations. So I've, I've had some really good chats with people who have come to the table and when they hear the word punishment, they immediately think of really horrible, painful, awful things. You know, like we think of the connotation that the word punitive has and like, it's just this gross, ugly word. When we look in the context of operant conditioning, that is not necessarily the case. Um, you can positively punish via affection. Like, like technically, if we're just looking at operant conditioning learning theory, like if you pet your dog in a way that they find aversive in a given moment, even if that's like a nice gentle petting, I think of an example with Scout where um, when Scout is really, really hot after playing, she does not love being touched in general. I think it's probably similar to how when I get back from a run, I'm like not excited for Sean to hug me, right? Yeah. Like I'm hot and happy. Um, and so way back when at our apartment, I noticed that she, she'd come and lie right next to me whenever we finished playing and I would just naturally pet her, right? Like she's in front of me, she's lying there and I would naturally pet her same gentle petting. Like, you know, I'm not talking about some crazy rough petting, just like the same affection that I'd give her in another, another context. And I noticed that she started lying down a little bit farther away from me. And again, confounding variables, it's impossible to ever know exactly what's going on, but I, I'm relatively confident that I, I decreased the behavior of her lying right next to me, touching the leg by adding something she found aversive in the moment, even though that aversive thing was just gentle petting, it was so dependent situationally. Um, and, and in my brain, I was like, oh my gosh, like if we're operating in a strict operant conditioning learning theory frame of mind right now, like that's positive punishment yeah. and no one would ever think that. So there's so much nuance involved. Um, and I think defining those semantics can be really important before entering into those conversations because like, again, there's a huge, huge difference between someone forcing a dog into an awful situation and hanging them from a collar in some way or pushing them to the ground. Like there's a huge difference between these things that are just really not okay. And the intentional use of the quadrants of operant conditioning. I also, um, lately, this is, I'll, I will try not to ramble about this because I'm definitely not an expert here, but something I've been really a lot more interested in lately is thinking beyond operant conditioning as well. Um, operant conditioning is a learning theory and it's fantastic. It explains a ton of behavior. I think that strict behaviorism, like the origin of operant conditioning has some problems not considering emotions. Um, I, I really enjoyed the work of ethologists like Franz DeWall and how he, mm. he has some critiques of behaviorism, but they're, they're very balanced, kind critiques. I really love his books. I like want him to be my cool uncle. I think that he's just like fantastic. Um, so that's been something I've been thinking about more lately is like thinking beyond operant conditioning. I know that's something that the training without conflict methodology um, does a lot, which I, I'm not an expert in. Like, this is just me thinking out loud. Um, coming back to the specific question at hand of like, sometimes when I would, you know, tell Scout like, nope, don't do that one specific thing instead of giving her something else to do. Um, you know, there are situations in our life where 
I want her to have as much freedom as possible and be able to express herself, but there is something that isn't on the table. And so, you know, like we talked about um, just before we started recording the example of like bringing groceries inside, like I could send Scout to her place command when we bring groceries inside so that she doesn't try to rush out the door behind us or so that she doesn't try to open the bags and start eating the food as we're unpacking them. Or I could tell her, you know, like, like, no, you can't open the bag and eat the food. You can't rush outside, but you can still do all of these other things. Um, and there are other parts to that too, right? Like we need to make sure that we are setting up the environment in a way that is conducive to the behaviors that we'd like to see from our dogs. And we need like, like what you said earlier, where you said, if you notice that you've said no five times in a row, that pushes you to think more critically. I think sometimes there's a conflation where if someone talks about being willing to implement punishment at all, it's assumed that like punishment is the foundation of their training. I look at it as the fact that it's really hard for me to think about the last time that I intentionally punished Scout in our life together. And that is that that's on purpose because to me, effective implementation of any, you know, any strategy to train our dogs results in greater harmony in the long run like I my goal is not to be punishing my dog every day absolutely not my goal is to create clarity about boundaries and expectations and then everyone knows what's up and so she does like like if I if I found myself continually like every day punishing scout correcting depending on your semantics with the you know the individual terms that would tell me that I really needed to think more critically about the harmony in our life. If I was fulfilling her basic needs, all of these things. Um, yeah, it's interesting. A lot of it ties back into like the idea of micromanaging to me, which is something I did a lot before. Want to be really clear. I'm a huge fan of management. This is not me knocking management again. Like those semantics can be messy. Um, for me, I did a lot of micromanaging in the sense of like, like instead of thinking, instead of asking why, yeah, here's an example with waiting at thresholds. Scout and I lived in three different apartments before we got the house that we currently live in that has its own yard. She is pretty fearful. She could be really explosively reactive to dogs back then. Um, and so I needed her to wait inside whatever door we were coming out of. One of our apartment buildings had like three separate doors we had to make it through and a stairwell before we could go outside. I needed her to wait on the side of the door you know, where I had already seen what was going on, like behind me while I checked that the coast was clear at the next door. Um, I had it in my head that I needed her to sit every single time. Like I needed her to sit and wait. And mm. I absolutely think Been there, that done that. giving, right. Right. And I, and I think that there's, there's merit to that, especially early on in teaching. Like if, if Scout knows that sit means to sit and stay in one spot, then by all means, like that can give her clarity about what I'm expecting in that moment. So I'm not, not trying to say that asking your dog to sit to wait at the door is like a bad thing always. But there was one particular moment where we were coming back inside and it was winter when there was like some salt and some slush and some ice on our front step up in Wisconsin. And she didn't want to sit. And I'm standing there like waiting for her to sit because we, we had taught it as an auto sit, like eventually faded where I wasn't giving her a verbal and like my expectation was just that she'd sit she'd look at me then I'd open the door and she wasn't sitting and finally I was like wait a second like why on earth do I need you to sit right now what is the behavior I actually need from you and how much freedom can I give you within the thing that I need and so by asking those questions why that we talked about you know why 
why do I need you to sit? Well, I really don't. But what purpose was the sit serving? Well, when you're in a sit, you're not rushing through the door. Okay. Can you not rush through the door ahead of me, even if you're not in a sit? Like, can I give you the freedom to choose if you want to sit, if you want to stand next to me, if you want to look the other way? Like, can I give you the freedom to make those choices? Well, just ensuring that you don't actually rush in the door and like come face to face with something that scares you and I'm not able to advocate for you. That was a huge moment for me in thinking about like liberty, like, like freedom for her as more of an end goal. It set me on a rabbit hole of all of the other ways that I had been really micromanaging her. Like I wouldn't want her to look out the window and bark. And so like she'd spend a ton of time on her place command. And it was like, wait, there are a ton of other things I can do to help you not look out the window and bark. I can consider what emotions are inspiring that barking and I can work to to change them. I can recall you away. I can, if, you know, this isn't something that, um, like that we landed on, but you know, like one of the thought processes that we could go through is like, if, if I think that your emotion is just, you know, that like you think barking is fun and this is a habit, like maybe I, I can, punish that, make sure that the environment is set up for you to do other things. You know, like there, there are all of these questions that we can go through where instead of saying like, I'm going to put you on your place command far away from the window. So you can't bark at the window. Um, I can do these other things to consider. Can I give you more freedom so that you're still able to like walk around the apartment and choose where you want to rest and those sorts of things. And there might be situations where, you know, an, an owner is listening to this and thinking about life with their dog. And they're like, yeah, I choose to use the place command because that's what works best in our individual lifestyle. And that's what, you know, my resources are going to other things right now. Or um, whenever I talk about something, not all things, most things that I've talked about that we've changed or adjusted along the line, me saying that we don't do them anymore is not meant to say that no one should do them anymore. It's just an illustration of how in our individual lifestyle, I thought about it differently and landed on a different decision. So like if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I do use the place command for management. I am not saying, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that you're doing it wrong. I'm just saying that for me, it was really, really helpful to think more critically about these questions and try to understand, you know, why am I making these decisions in different moments? I have another question about, because I, I do think it can be a slippery slope um, where you're saying, for example, let's take the groceries example, right? A lot of people say, okay, we don't say no because no doesn't tell the dog what the dog can do. And in your case, I think if if I've understood you correctly, but um, please intervene if I'm not saying it right, is you're saying, okay, just quickly saying, no, don't, you know, stick your snout (laughs) in the groceries. is the way for her, like, I, I don't necessarily need her to do anything else. She can literally do anything else but that. So in that case, for me, is that's the thing that gives her the most options. I can see this, like I said, on a slippery slope where people are going to say, like, well, putting my, I'm just going to really take it to the extreme. Like, putting my dog yeah. on an e-collar um, gives my dog off-leash freedom so how do you determine for yourself like where where do you stop sliding yeah this is a great question I think there are a lot of slippery slopes in dog training just in the world as a whole and it's really valuable to think through them um I mean I think it comes again I think a lot of it comes down to individual 
differences in thought processes. I'm sure by this point, that sounds like I'm saying that as, as a cop-out answer. Um, I know that the, the whole it depends answer can just seem like a lazy teacher not wanting to answer their student's question, but that is genuinely how I feel about so many things in dog training. Um, I think there are a lot of things to consider. And I think that even like, even freedom, you know, we think about giving our dogs freedom that can have different connotations. And I think that freedom can be really, really positive and can also be negative. Like there are, there are moments where the last thing that scout wants is a ton of freedom to make her own decisions because she's feeling stressed and she's feeling overwhelmed. And it genuinely is helpful for me to say, Hey, scout, do this one thing. Like, you know, you're, you're a little overwhelmed. I did not know that the coffee shop would be this busy this morning. I can tell that you're a little bit stressed out. So do this one thing, go into middle, go into your middle obedience position. You know that when you're in middle, I handle everything else. Your space stays clear. You know that you don't have to worry about things when you're in that position. So you, you go to middle, I'm going to get us through the situation. And she doesn't want the freedom to spin around at the end of her leash and feel nervous about everything going on. Um, so I think that like, that's an important distinction too, is that I think that freedom has different connotations and can mean different things. I think some, some freedom is incredibly important, like the freedom to move one's body freely, the freedom to act on some of those natural canine instincts in ways that are safe and socially acceptable. Like that's a huge thing that I think about. I think there are other times where freedom is not necessarily then I'll be all again. Like, you know, you can have option paralysis, you can have decision paralysis. So that's one thing that I think is important. Um, I can think of specific situations with Scout where I, I know her as an individual pr pretty well at this point, it feels. And I'm usually able to guess if it's a situation where giving her more agency is going to be good or if I should give her a little bit less agency actually. So that's one consideration that's coming to mind. Um, other considerations coming to mind are, oh goodness, yeah, it's, it's a whole topic. Um, we don't currently use an e-collar with Scout. Um, I'm not, I, I would not say that I'm against e-collars. I've seen them used in ways that do sit really, really well with me. Again, I have not used one personally, so I feel like I'm not in a position to talk about them from a very informed firsthand way. I don't want to um, step on any toes there, but I've also seen them used in ways that I find absolutely horrifying. I mean, like nauseating bad. Um, I think that the distance to nature of the tool can make it easier to apply more force without realizing it. And I think that that is an important consideration, especially depending on personality types and things going on. Um, I mean, like one of the reasons that my, if, if I'm going to punish scout again in that operant conditioning sense, one of the reasons that my favorite way to do it is, you know, like verbally in a social way is because it feels very, um, it's, it's not distanced at all. It's very, very close. Like I am very directly applying that pressure. I'm very aware of how much pressure I'm applying. Like I can feel it in the own tone of my voice and everything and immediately see how she's replying. Um, so I think that that's a consideration, but yeah, sorry, you, you really made my brain go a ton of different directions with the e-collar thing. I have several friends who, who do use e-collars with their dogs and they are giving their dogs really, they really care about their dogs and they are thinking it through. And I, I don't want, um, I don't want to be, you know, knocking things across the board. It's something that I don't have as much experience with. I think, I just think there are so when I hear that specific phrase, the way that you phrased it, it really makes me question what we're defining as freedom and how fulfilling that freedom is and how the tool is being implemented. And if the priorities really are there, like sometimes I've seen people who train in a way that I do not agree with. 
saying the right things, but when you really look at how they're setting up life with the dog and start asking the why, the the why that they seem to live out seems different than the why that they're professing, if that makes sense. Um, Oh goodness. Yeah. You've, you've really sent my brain into a spiral here. I'm sorry. This is not an eloquent passage of thought by any means. (laughs) I think, I mean, in that sense, it's interesting to see because we're both now sort of, I don't know. I think our brains are going in a million directions. As yeah, there's we're so recording. much to unpack. I don't know which train of thought to follow. But but curiosity is at the heart of it. Yeah. Right now, I would say, like, I would say I will never, ever put an e-collar on my dog, ever. But the fact that we're talking about it and that, you know, like you're just you're you were giving like all the avenues that your brain was sort of traveling down, I think, is the way to keep the conversation open. Yeah. And I, like like I said, I was when when like we uh, exchanged our messages, I was really sort of debating like, OK, what what do I do with this? Um, because I know I, I told you this as well, that there's trainers who say I do not give any platform to anything aversive because any attention is attention and I just don't want attention to go there. And I was trying to figure out for myself, like, okay, is this, is this sort of what I want to do as well? Do I want to keep the conversation open or not? Um, I realized that what I was doing was what I was doing with um, my dog as well. I was looking for the right solution and the right way to deal with this issue uh, of you know, addressing punishment in dog training. And I realized I don't think I have the right solution. I just, I'm going to talk about it with you on this podcast. I'm just going to try something and then I'm going to see um, where it goes. But I still, like right now, I stand very much with my decision because I want to be able to talk about these things because I think it's the way to, it's the way to cross Bridget. So I really, I also want to thank you for being open um, to talking about this because I don't know, we might like, I might finally get some trolls now and you might get a backlash on this. There's something else I want to talk about because like I said, an hour, we're already over. So and people that listen to this podcast know this, they know that they just need to go on either two dog walks or extend their dog walk to be able to listen to this fully. So that's fine. Um, but there is a lot of um of our own mindset that goes into this. I know like you have a huge, at least compared to mine, you have a huge Instagram following. So I think you've probably had to deal with trolls. So I'm I'm wondering like what mindset you have there. And I'm also wondering, um, and these are actually two questions, but I'm just gonna throw them out there because it's all mindset, yeah. mindset, mindset. Is um, that at one point you decided, so, you know, like you've been writing about your journey with Scout, you've been um, putting out lots of thoughtful blog articles. And basically, if we follow your blog, we kind of follow the journey that you've been on. Uh, And then you decided to go and write about dogs as a profession and do it full time. So Mm -hmm. like both these things, like dealing, you know, like with all these reactions from people and then also then deciding like okay I'm going to make this my profession which probably means you have to deal with a lot more of that um like what went into that 
decision and how scary was it and what allowed you to move forward? Oh yeah, so scary. Um, I mean, first, I, I just want to thank you too. I, I really appreciated that. I felt really comfortable and safe recording this podcast episode. And I feel like you and I are so aligned on the shared values and have a level of respect for each other and the lives that we share with our dogs. And that just makes me feel so, 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 so happy because I feel like if that could exist in more conversations, like you said, coming back to curiosity, um, there, again, there are decisions that people make with their dogs that I very much full on do not support. I want to be clear that like, I'm not saying I condone everything under the sun. Absolutely. There are lines drawn. There's also a really, a really wide spectrum of people who I respect, who I know are doing their best for their dogs, who do things differently than I do. And it's really important to me to be able to say, like, I fully respect those decisions that you're making because you've thought them through. And let's, you know, like, let's talk about it and let's do that in a way that does feel again, safe and comfortable. So I really appreciate you creating that space. Um, to be totally honest with you, I was nervous at the, before we started recording, when you said that you did in fact want to talk some about punishment today, I was like, oh no, this is really scary. Like sometimes the conversation is hard and sometimes this conversation results in people being really mean to me on the internet. Um, but you, you, you made me feel very comfortable doing that. So I really appreciate that. Um, that kind of ties into like some of the troll things. I actually recently had a post where I was digging in kind of for myself, it started as some journaling and then I decided to write a little bit more about it public facing um, on the difference between like a troll versus someone who wants to have a productive conversation. Um, I think that this is a situation where balance is important and sometimes the extremes are necessary, but they're not necessarily true across the board. So sometimes I see people refer to anyone who disagrees with them in any capacity as a hater or a troll. And it kind of feels like they're using those labels so that they can dismiss what's being said instead of actually getting curious and diving into why they believe what they do. I've done this myself before. Like there, there have been moments that I'm not proud of where someone has said something in a genuine way. They're genuinely curious. And I start to feel defensive because I don't know how to answer it. And it's a lot easier in my mind to just say like, oh, like they're just trying to argue like they're being a troll. It's a lot easier to do that sometimes than it is to actually be more vulnerable and identify what I feel. Um, and so I, I you know, kind of like put these journaling thoughts together about how I think, I think getting my brain straight about that, about like, what is trolling? What is hate? And what is just differences that we can have a respectful, productive conversation about? That's been really helpful for me. So, um, you know, we we have been told some not nice things, but when I'm really clear about what I value and why I'm making the decisions that I am and, and whose opinions I care about the most, I'm able to dismiss the ones that are just outright mean. You know, like when someone comes up to me, doesn't come up to me, sorry, this never happens in person. When someone sends a direct message and says, you know, like, you shouldn't own a dog, I feel bad for Scout. That hurts a little bit, you know, that stings in the moment. But then I'm able to pretty easily realize like, okay, the intention of that comment was not to have a productive conversation. Clearly this person is not actually trying to, to learn anything, to ask any real questions. They are just saying that to be mean. And knowing that intent, it's a lot easier to dismiss it. It's a lot easier to be like, okay, like I'm going to ask my dog if she thinks that I should have a dog or not, you know, like my dog who does live a really good life, who is more confident and more playful and more exuberant than she ever has been. Like, I'm going to 
rely on her opinion versus someone coming in and saying like, Hey, like, you know, you, you wrote this thing in a blog and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Are you open to like, can we talk about it? Can I hear more of what you meant so that I'm not misunderstanding? Like that's the kind of message that I am so happy to engage in. And um, I'm really happy to say that some of my close connections in like the online dog Instagram community have started in conversations like that, where either the other person or me came to the conversation saying, you know, Hey, like, I don't fully agree, or I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. And then we're able to be curious and be a little bit vulnerable and, you know, reach that point of mutual respect and connection, which is really cool. Um, and this ties into writing about dogs full time. Like you said, just that I'm so much more involved in it now. And there's been a lot of imposter syndrome in that. So I'm a writer by trade. Um, you know, I've written ever since I was very, very young. That was part of my schooling. I was a copywriter at a marketing agency prior to doing this. So like my writing chops, like, I'm like, I'm pretty comfortable saying that I'm a writer, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I can own that label. I, I can own that identity. That feels valid. I do not feel like I'm a dog expert. I feel like I'm a dog nerd. Like I like to be nerdy about it, but oh my goodness, there's so much I don't know. And it was really, really scary for one thing to go out on my own, just from all of the like real world logistical constraints of like, will I be able to make an income? And like, will our own blog be able to generate income? Will I have to do a ton of freelance work? How much freelance work will I have to do? Will I be able to get good clients who I align with their values? Or will I have to like, you know, if I, if I need to put food on the table and make money, like the last thing I want to do is take a writing project that I feel fundamentally compromises some of the values that I have as, as a person. Um, and sorry, that was really scary. I was like, what, like Sean, like, what if this doesn't work? What if I, what if I, can't support us at all like what are we what are we doing so that was terrifying um and then you know again kind of like some of that imposter syndrome outside of those real world world logistical constraints like some of the more internal things of like am I good enough to write about dogs like am I good enough for someone to pay me to write about dogs do you know I'm really really clear on our blog that it is not specific training advice directed for anyone to follow it's it's sharing of our journey and I have put a lot of thought and a lot of mental and emotional labor into some of it and so there's part of me that is like absolutely like it's fair to you know to charge for some of that content and make sure that there's a free option so that we're remaining accessible because I really really you know I don't want privilege to be a factor here and like all these things so sometimes I feel really confident and good about that and then there are other times where the imposter syndrome really kicks in and it's like well who am I like who why would anyone ever pay me to read something that I've written about dogs. Like I'm just an owner. There's so much that I don't know. My opinions constantly keep changing, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, oh goodness. You asked me before we started recording, if I ever felt like I was going to throw up and like so many times, so, so, so many times coming back to my values, feeling like I can be aligned in my values and feeling like I can be genuinely happy with my life and thinking about the opinions that, that I really, really care about, you know, like in the context of dog ownership, I care about Scout's opinion a lot. If Scout is showing me that she's uncomfortable in our life, that she has trust issues with me, um, you know, that she's not fulfilled, that's something I'm going to take very, very, very seriously versus a stranger on the internet saying, hey, you abuse your dog. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at Scout and I'm going to say, hey, Scout, do I abuse you? I'm, you know, not, not actually, <laughs> but, um, but coming back Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, thinking about, um, even just from a writing standpoint, like not everyone resonates with every writing style, not everyone resonates with every opinion. And so 
just trying to stay aligned in my values so that I can feel proud fundamentally of how I'm conducting myself and what I'm putting out there. And, you know, um, like I care a lot about what Sean thinks. I care a lot about what, what the clients who pay me to write things think, of course, and trying to keep perspective. Um, what do you I tell yourself when you're trying to work through um, those, am I good enough moments? Like what is, do you have like a phrase that you use or something that you tell yourself to, um, you know, get yourself going again to work through the doubt? I wouldn't say there's like an exact phrase per se, um, but I, I come back to the idea a lot that I would never talk to a friend or frankly, even a stranger that way. Like I, I, I'm not perfect at this. Again, want to be really clear. I try to go into most interactions with people thinking that they might have something really valuable that I could learn from. You know, there might be something about them or their life that is just the most interesting thing in the whole world. And I have to give them a chance because everyone around me just has just as complex and amazing and incredible of a life as it feels like I have in my own head. Um, and so, so it helps me a lot, I guess, to kind of flip the script and imagine that like, uh, uh, you know, imagine that I saw a blog from a stranger out there writing about similar things and imagine what I would think about it. And, you know, that the thought would never cross my mind or almost never, you know, that like this person sucks and they just shouldn't be doing it. Um, or to, or to kind of talk to myself the way that I would talk to a friend or the way that I would talk to Sean, if he was coming to me, I think that's pretty, pretty cliche, kind of like old advice, like treat yourself like you would treat a good friend. It's, it's really helpful for me personally. Um, and I and think I, it's kind of what you're also saying is like, what, what we discussed earlier is if I have this question, or if I'm thinking about this, uh, you know, or care enough about this to want to write something about it, there is probably someone out there who's interested in it, because I'm probably not the only one going through it, yeah. even though it can really feel that way. But I, which I guess is one of the reasons I also started this podcast. This was like, am I the only one going through this? Or And then I found out, no, there's tons. Yeah. And I was like, do you think anybody would want to listen to other people's stories? And turns out, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. they do. Absolutely. We want to know that we're not, that we're not alone. Um, yeah. And, and I do want to be really clear. I mean, I know I talked a little bit about trolls and things like that. I'm really, really thankful. I feel really fortunate that my experience on social media and our blog, and even as a freelance writer has been largely positive, like more positive than I would have imagined. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm that I'm being grateful for that. Like we, we might occasionally get something that hits the heart a little bit and is a little difficult to read, but by and large, I've been overwhelmed with the positivity of the responses. Um, and that that's really comforting. And there's a balance here. We talked about slippery slopes in some other contexts earlier in the podcast. I, I don't want to become so focused on external validation that it becomes unhealthy for me. Um, but it has been helpful. I, I've gotten a handful of really sweet, like have brought me to tears messages over the years. And I have saved a couple of those. And sometimes when I'm really in a funk and I'm feeling like, gosh, like, who are you, Haley? And this isn't going to help anyone. And you have no right to talk about this. Sometimes it's really helpful to pull out those messages and reread them and be like, hey, like, look, like, here's, here's a real life person. Here's real evidence that what you've shared in the past has touched people and it has been positive. And if that isn't motivation, 
you know, what is. So, so again, being careful not to do that as my only thing, like, it's really important to me that I can be, um, I'm self-assured, like, like from a personal level, but sometimes when I'm really feeling down, it, it does to have help. that evidence, you know, to have that little evidence list, which is yeah. actually what I also always recommend. And I'm like, even do it myself when I'm in a funk, I go like, I go to my five positives a day just to, to get my brain out of focusing on the negative and really force it to see all, all the good that's out there. Um, I'm, I want to go to the final question before I get to to my three words that I always ask everyone. But I think um, sort of the, the thread in this, I, I want to say episode or in this interview has been, you know, like to ask why and to find um, your own place in the world, you know, like your place in the dog training world, like where are you on the spectrum? Who are you? Um, you're doing that with um, your job, you know, your new career, like writing about dogs <laughs> professionally, um, which I imagine really it, it takes, you know, confidence. It's a big step to do that. If you tell people like, what's your career? I'm writing about dogs and getting paid for it. They're like, wow, is that a career? It's like finding oh, that, gosh. that place in society and going like, yeah, I think this can be a career. And the other thing, and so I'm coming to my question now that I read about is that you are going to be also embarking on van life. And this is probably something that a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I could do that. Or I wish I was courageous enough to do that. I think this is another one of those things where you are trying to, you know, figure out, okay, where do we fit in the spectrum? And no, I don't have to live in a house. I can do something else. Just like, really quickly i just i'm hesitant to say just really quickly <laughs> my best but um just you know like what um is there some of that mindset behind there is there a conscious decision of okay what am i trying to do here am i trying to break free from societal standards maybe i'm just being a little over dramatic here or um what's the reason behind that choice i absolutely love this question Sean and I spend a lot of time talking about our values and, and our preferences and what we want out of life. And I think that I spent a good, a good portion of my life thus far feeling like I should do things um, for that exact reason, because I should, because society tells me I should. And there were so many things that I never thought critically about. And I just thought that, you know, I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to pursue a career and all of that. And, and I know people personally who that is exactly what they want and they thought about it and I'm so happy for them like absolutely um but for me the more that I thought about it the more that I kept asking that question of why you know like okay so why am I going to have kids well because my parents really want grandkids and that's what everyone does right like you have kids like that's what you're supposed to do and like as I kept asking why and why and why and why um Sean and I did a lot of that together and kind of came to the realization that van life is super aligned with what we both enjoy, what we both want out of life. It's conducive to the type of work that we're interested in doing. Neither of us um, are super invested in having a long-term career in one defined field. Again, like we have friends who are, and I'm so happy to cheer for them. That's just not something that I, I personally um, feel the desire for anymore. I used to think that I would probably define myself by my career or my degree, but I've just come up with a lot of other things that I think shape my identity more that I'm, I'm happy to choose. Um, 
And so, yeah, it was a very thoughtful decision, not necessarily intentionally to like spike society's norms or anything. Like we're not trying to, to do it in a way to say that all of those norms are bad all the time, um, but very much in a, in a personal way to say that a lot of those norms don't fit us as individuals and we are able to create a life where we don't have to follow all of them. And that's really, really scary at some points, but also really exciting. Um, so yeah, I mean, we are getting a, a relatively expensive conversion van and selling our house and the van is our new house, you know, putting the investment into it kind of the same way as if we were to, like, we look at it as the house that we're in right now is our starter home and the van is the dream home. That's how we've conceptualized it. Um, and. Yeah, lots of things got into that decision. Again, like that understanding of individual preferences and that not everything is right for every person. But we were both really passionate about experiences. Um, we're both very minimalist, like like naturally pretty minimalist. That's not something that we've had to fight to work work for very much. So just in terms of like fitting us as people, the the van, the freedom and flexibility that the van offers, the limits on material possessions like all of those things mesh really really well with who who we are and that's kind of how we landed on it love that okay as promised the three words that i ask everyone to comment on at the end of the episode um when it comes to life with your dog i'm not going to give you any guidance just whatever comes (laughs) up for you um expectation frustration and celebration? Um, honestly, for us, expectation has often been the, the root of a lot of our suffering. I've had very unrealistic expectations and they've been inflexible um, since I've made them more flexible and more grounded in reality. They've been really motivating, um, but that was something I, th- I think putting unrealistic expectations on ourselves was, yeah, one of, one of the worst things that I, that I did for us. Um, Frustration used to be all consuming and overwhelming. And today is primarily an opportunity to learn something about myself and about Scout if she's if she's the one feeling frustrated. Um, I almost get excited when I feel frustrated now. Wow, that sounds that sounds really warped. That makes me sound crazy, but I almost do because it doesn't happen often in life with her anymore. And so when it does happen, it's kind of like this moment of like, ooh, like, like there's something that I can tinker with. Like what needs to change? Um, it's like you're celebrating frustration. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There we go. There we go. That's what celebration is. Um, honestly, the, the celebration one, if I'm being really candid about what first comes to mind, it's not nearly as perhaps insightful as those last two aimed to be. It is when Scout wins the toy during tug or is frolicking back to me, holding the toy in her mouth. That is shared celebration and that's something that we worked really really hard for scout was not very confident we were not very good at playing together especially in any environment that was at all unfamiliar and so when i think of celebration with her i think of like the actual celebration in a game but the fact that that reflects such a larger celebration of like like look at this loose wiggly dog who feels comfortable and is just showing her personality and she's just so happy that she has that stick. Like it's just the best (laughs) best thing in the whole world. (laughs) I love that to end on. Um, There's always the final question, which is 
where can people find you if they want to, you know, read about you, if they want to see really cute pictures of Scout, like tell us all the places. <laughs> we are most active on Instagram. Um, it's at pause and reflect. And then our blog is pause and reflect.blog. We really, really recently started a podcast that is super haphazard. It is nowhere near as nice as the podcast that you are currently listening to. Um, Sean, set a rule that he's not going to do more than five minutes of editing for any episode. So be warned that it's, it's basically like a live stream that we just choose to upload later. Um, but we started that a little less than a month ago and it's been surprisingly fun. So if reading isn't your thing, you can give a listen there. We don't have too many episodes yet. Um, like I said, pretty stream of consciousness, pretty haphazard, but it's, it's been fun. So that's, that's another place that we are starting to exist. <laughs> What's the name of the podcast? Is it also Pause and Reflect? Yep, it's the Pause and Reflect podcast. We were very, very creative there. <laughs> it makes it very easy to find you. I love the consistency. Um, <laughs> obviously, I will link to all of that in the show notes, people, so you don't have to pull over and stop the car and write it down. It's all going to be there, which um, just leaves me to say a very, very big thank you, Haley, for coming on the show and being so candid and open and sharing everything you have to, to share. Thank you. Thank you so much for your account and what you put out. And thanks for having me. It's been really fun. You're welcome. You can find the show notes to this episode and everything coaching on my website, kaisafanoverbeg.com. Or you can go find us on Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog, or maybe even Facebook, Kaiser Fun Overbeg Coaching. If you like listening to this podcast, might I ask you for a good review on whichever platform you're listening to the podcast to, because it helps us move up in the rating, which helps us be found more easily so that more people can listen to this, more people can benefit from it, more people can feel, as I always say, less alone in where they stand with their dogs. 